The psalmist said, I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my supplication. Therefore, I shall call upon him as long as I live. And our Father, um, we are thankful that you hear us. We are thankful that when we pray, you have... Uh, you, you, because you're God, you, you have no distractions. We have your undivided attention. I love the Lord because he hears. You're not distracted. You're not thinking about something else. You're not overwhelmed. You're not uh, thinking about something that has to be done the next day. You're God. You're God. You have all power. You have all wisdom. You know all things. You know what's on our hearts before we even bring it to you. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. But we are so thankful that we come to you, and we are so thankful that you hear us and that you listen and that you give full attention to us. We, we are thankful that we have access to come at any time. As, as I was reading my scriptures that get me through the Bible each year, I was reading Leviticus this week. And all of those requirements, and all of those stipulations, and all of those washings, and all of those regulations that had to be done in order to make an acceptable sacrifice and then on top of that, just one man could enter into the Holy Holies one day out of the year and commune with you. But because of what Jesus has done, we can enter into your presence at any time through the blood of Christ. That's an amazing thing. Jesus fulfilled the law in every point. Jesus fulfilled Leviticus in every point. We don't have to, because Jesus was the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundations of the world. So now all those Old Testament stipulations of having access to you have been done away with, because Jesus made it possible for us to come into your presence. That's a tremendous blessing. That's a tremendous privilege that we can come to you and talk to you and just tell you what's on our hearts, what we're dealing with, what our uh, anxieties are. And then you tell us to cast all those anxieties upon you because you care for us. You proved it when you sent Christ and you continue to take care of us and sustain us and make a way for us. So we cast anxieties and you make a way and you get us through a crisis and we look back over the years, we could enumerate them, but here we are, and we got, we've got fresh mercy, but we've got fresh anxiety. There's always something to scare us. There's always something that threatens us. So we just keep coming back, and we keep having access, and you never turn us away. What a privilege. What a privilege. I've been amazed all week, Lord, that that, uh, that uh, custom builder told me he was building a big house but he was building something he'd never built before. 
in that backyard, that big pool, that big lanai, behind that he was building an altar so that man could sacrifice sheep on that altar. What a sad thing. What a sad thing. We're so thankful that Jesus was the lamb who took away our sins. And he paid it all. So we come to you tonight, casting our care upon you, asking you to teach us, asking you to protect us, and asking you to give us wisdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we've been in the study called Landmines, and we're looking at the things that potentially trip up Christian men as they seek to follow the Lord. I want to go back to our uh, kind of our, our base passage that we've been using for a number of weeks, which is Ephesians 5. And then we're going to go into Ephesians, 5, uh, uh, Ephesians 6, because our landmine tonight that we're going to look at is the landmine of ignoring the enemy's devices and his strategies. Let me say that again. The landmine of ignoring the enemy's devices and strategies. Now let's start in Ephesians 5.15. He says, therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. So if you were ever in the military, ever out on patrol, combat, whatever. The guy out front's the point man. He's got to be aware of what's happening. The wires, the ambushes, the snipers. Recently, uh, we've seen so many guys come back from Afghanistan and Iraq with these uh, terrific injuries from uh, these mines that are hidden. And uh, a lot of guys lose their lives. A lot of guys come back with severe injuries. Um, to those guys, often those are on roadsides. They got to be warned, be careful how you drive. What he's saying to us is be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. Making the most of your time, not wasting your time. We've all done that in the past. Making the most of your time because the days are evil. We're living in evil days where men who are following Christ. We've said it before, it's worth saying again, when you get serious about Christ, the enemy gets serious about you. He doesn't want you being an influence on your family for the Lord. But before we come to know Christ, spiritually speaking, we don't have influence. We're not, uh, we're being watched by those under our care, but we're not pointing in the Christ because we're not following Christ. But when Christ gets a hold of us, now we're serious, now we're in the Word, now we're starting to grow and mature, and we're influencing those around us. They see and notice a change in our lives. Well, the enemy is now going to try and neutralize you. He had you neutralized before, before you knew, he knew Christ. He wasn't worried about you. Now when you're serious, he's going to try and neutralize you. Doesn't want you to have an influence. So, be careful how you walk. 
not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of your time. Not wasting your time, making the most of your time because the days are evil. We We have one shot at life. And so many of us, we look back over life, not so many of us, all of us, we have regrets for wasted years, for wasted days, for um, we didn't know the Lord. We were just living for ourselves. But now that we know the Lord, we're in Christ. Any man is in Christ. He's a new creature. We're following the Lord. So we want to make the most of what he's given to us. We want our lives to count. Don't you, you want your life to count. You, you know what men really want? They, they, they want to have a sense of meaning about their life. That my life counts. And oftentimes, what we struggle with as men is meaninglessness. Is what, I'm really, is what I'm doing really making a difference? Well, if you're following the Lord, and if he's first in your life, and your heart is to follow him and to know his word and to walk wisely, your life counts. It counts big time. Francis Safer used to say that there are no little people and there are no little places. It's always amazing to me. See, we get it in our heads that to be used by God, you got to be something. You got to do something great. You got to do something big. Uh, C.H. Spurgeon was probably the most famous preacher in the history of the Christian church since the Apostle Paul ministered in London in the 1800s. At the age of 19, he was speaking to crowds of 10,000. They were lined up to hear him preach. The guy was prolific. His, 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 his volumes, I mean, he was enormously gifted. Um, you know, he came to the Lord. I, I, I mean, he, he, he was... He, he, was, he, he was so far above the grade. You know, he came to the Lord. He, he was the normal church that he went to, because he went to church. But the normal church that he went to, he didn't go to on a particular Sunday. There had been some kind of uh, storm. There had been something that occurred, and he couldn't get to it. So he went to another little country church, walked in, and because of the storm or whatever it was, the pastor wasn't there, and hardly a handful of people were there. And this deacon, who was a a tradesman, who really wasn't articulate, who really wasn't a preacher, actually was afraid of getting up and talking. The preacher didn't make it, just a handful of people, but he knew someone had to get up, and he got up and preached about a five-minute sermon on a verse than really the only sermon that he really had. And he just kind of said, Lord, help me. And, and the greatest preacher in the history of the Christian church was sitting there as a young man and heard it and was converted by a little guy whose knees were shaken and had no idea what he was doing up there. Isn't it interesting how God works? No little people, no little... And that guy might have struggled that whole week with his life. I don't think my life amounts to much. I don't think I'm very significant. You never know what God's doing. You never know. Keep being faithful. But be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of your time because the days are evil. Now go over to 610. 
He's wrapping up this section we're in. And in verse 10 of 6, he says, finally, he's, gonna, he's wrapping it up. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Now, there it is right there, what we're talking about. When you get serious about Christ, the enemy gets serious about you and taking you out. 1 Peter 5 says, your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So when you follow Christ, you're now in a battle. Uh, that's why you put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil, the strategies of the devil. The, um, now, the strategies of the devil. Here's a fascinating book written by Thomas Brooks, if I'm not mistaken, in 1652. Uh, some of you guys remember when this book came out. <laughs> little, little, little humor there, guys. Uh, Thomas Brooks was a pastor, one of the Puritan <coughs> pastors, what we call Puritans. And when you hear Puritan, you know, those guys were weird. They weren't weird. They were men of God. They, they, were, they were called Puritan because they wanted the church to be purified. And they were men who taught the word, and they stood up against the ritualism of the Church of England and against the nonsense and against the, uh, the formality and against all of the bureaucracy and the stuff in worship, they would add this, you had to wear collars, you had to do this. They said nonsense. They just wanted to purify the church and preach Christ, Christ crucified. These men were, uh, some of these Puritan pastors were absolutely brilliant. They, many of them studied at, uh, studied at Oxford. They, they, they were gifted men, they knew the languages, they, they were classically trained, brilliant men. Um, and I said this last week, and I'll say it again. They lived in an age of few distractions. One, one of the things that gets us are the distractions of life, the, the pings of the phone, the, the constant and perpetual interruptions where you're, whatever you're trying to focus on is, is you, can, you can hardly drive three miles without your phone pinging you. And the danger is you look down and you're going around a curve as I was doing yesterday and I thought, wait a minute, I don't think that's that important. But you see the tendency is to, to give it attention and there's just constant interruption and distractions. You read these Puritan guys and I have volumes of their works in my library. They would write these massive, massive works that are so valuable um, and so insightful. And one of the reasons is, is that they had time. And they were pastors, and their job was to study the Word. And they would study. Joseph, Thomas Brooks wrote a book. Now, what, what are we talking about? We're talking about the landmine of ignoring the enemy's devices and strategies. We just saw in 611 he has strategies to take us out. So he wrote this book back in the 1650s called Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. Now, that's not how we talk today, but it's how they talked. 
If you can come up with a, re a remedy against Satan's devices, that's precious. You see? We might say valuable counter strategies to the enemy's strategy. But that's what this book is about. And he has, this, the whole contents of the book, uh, the outline of the book is in the table of contents. Roman numeral one, the proof of the point. And he's going to go to certain scriptures that uh, you've got an enemy and he's coming after you. Okay, so he proves the point. Roman numeral two, Satan's devices to draw the soul to sin. And then under that, in parentheses, is 12 devices and their remedies. And then the rest of this book is about the 12 devices that Satan has and the remedies to fight him off so that you can stand firm in the Lord and recognize the strategies of the devil to take you out. He's got 12 of them. But here's what's fascinating. If I can show you this table of contents, it's extremely small print. Just the table of contents. And he has his major points, and he has his 12 points of how the enemy will try to take you out. And then under that, he has subpoints. And under the subpoints, he has further subpoints. And so the table of contents, I'm looking at page one, page two. This is the table of contents. Page three, page four, page five, six, seven, eight, nine. The table of contents is 10 pages. Just laying out the 12 devices from the scripture that the enemy will use in order to take us out and how to recognize them and come up with a counter. Uh, this guy didn't return emails. <laughs> this guy didn't text. This guy didn't watch ESPN. This man, if, if people are still reading your book 400 years after you've written it, it's valuable. What I want to do tonight is I want to talk about four strategies that the enemy uses. And I've done this before in here. But, you know, sometimes you just keep going back to fundamentals. If, if we're going to be able to recognize the landmine of ignoring the enemy's devices and strategies, um, well, you know, right now in Florida and Arizona, it's spring training. And I remember when Nolan Ryan was 37, 38, 39, 40. And I mean, one of the all time greats. But he'd still go to spring training with the rookies. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? I mean, a guy that good a guy that's solid, a guy who's a living legend, would still go to spring training. And what do you do in spring training? You work on the basics. You work on the fundamentals. You just never stop working on certain fundamentals. That's kind of what we're going to do tonight. We're going to look at four strategies that the enemy often uses in the life of men who are following him. 
and we're going to look at four counter strategies. Do you have a mission statement? Uh, I remember the first time I heard about writing your own mission statement. It was right around 1986-87. I never heard that phrase in my life. But a guy named Stephen Covey wrote a book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And many of you guys have read that book. It was really an excellent book. And in that book, Covey talked about the fact that as he would work with different executives and uh, do his seminars, that he would share with them the importance of writing a personal mission statement. Basically, just um, what's your life all about? What is important to you? What are your priorities? And he would recommend that you take a day or two, maybe get away for a weekend. So he would say this to some of these executives. If you can get away and if you can work on really getting away from distractions and really think about your life and what really is important, and then write it down. What do you want to do with your life? And then as years go by, it's not unusual to alter your mission statement. Maybe a page at the most, page and a half. Keep it brief. Keep it tight. But as you go through life, it's not unusual to go back and alter it. Uh, I, I wrote my personal mission statement when I was right at about 40 years old. Uh, I didn't go anywhere to write it. Uh, I wrote it at my kitchen table. I, uh, it, it wasn't real long. It was very brief. Uh, and I haven't changed a word of it in uh, 27 years. Let me, can I share with you my personal mission statement? My personal mission statement is don't screw up. <laughs> now, it's not real religious. It's not real profound. But I don't want to screw up my life, do you? Now, here's what's interesting. I screw up all the time. But I don't want to screw up. Um, you see, maybe if I were to alter it, maybe what I would do now is write Ephesians 5.15. Therefore, Steve, be careful how you walk at 67. Not as an unwise guy. You've done that in the past. But walk as a wise man. Making the most of your time. You got X amount of time left on this earth. Only God knows. So make the most of it. Because the days are evil. That might be my personal mission statement. Now, I screw up all the time. That's why I need the gospel. That's why I need Christ. We got to turn to 1 John 1, 9. Just because you never want to forget 1 John 1, 9. Ever. Because as you're going through the Christian life, you're going to screw up, and you know the Lord, and you know the Word, and you're going to sin. And you're going to do something that you, you said you wouldn't do again. You said you weren't going to lose your temper again, and you do. You're not going to be impatient, and you do. Okay, First John 1, 9. 
This is written to believers. This is written to those who are following the Lord. And in 1 John 1, 9, he says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's staggering. Because one of, I, I will say this, just as an aside. As you walk with the Lord and as you sin, there are times you get down on yourself and you'll say, I'll never grow, I'll never mature, I keep making the same mistakes, I keep falling into habitual sin. Don't ever forget 1 John 1, 9. Because the enemy will keep saying to you, you're, you're not even a Christian. You keep doing the same stuff over and over again. You're not growing. You're not, I mean, you, and then you get all over yourself and all this. 1 John 1, 9 takes care of all this stuff. If we confess our sins, the sins you know about, Confess it. Don't let it foul and fester. Deal with it before the Lord. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Now watch this. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The principle is, you confess the sin you know about, and he's such a great Savior that when we confess the sin we know about, he goes ahead and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. The sin you didn't even confess, the sin you're not even aware of, because we all have blind spots. I screwed up here and here and here, but I don't even realize it, because... I got blind spots, just like you do, but I'm aware of this, so I confess this, and Jesus is so great, he just wipes the whole thing clean. Now, is that amazing or what? That's amazing. So as you walk, don't ever forget the grace of God. Howard Hendricks did a study. Howard Hendricks, phenomenal, phenomenal teacher. Phenomenal preacher, taught hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of men who became pastors and worship leaders and youth pastors and missionaries, started great ministries and churches, an elder in this church for many, many years who's now with the Lord. I remember him talking in class about a survey that he did of 246 men. And I was working on a book that I was doing called Finishing Strong, and I, I put in a call to him one day, and he was gracious enough to call me back, and I said, Prof, could you tell me again about that survey of those 246 men? And, and would you be all right if I quoted you in the book? He said, sure, absolutely. He said, Steve, there are 246 men that we interviewed. Um, they were pastors, youth pastors, uh, you know, all guys in full-time ministry. Um, the reason we interviewed them, they had all gotten involved in adultery within 24 months of each other, within two years. That's staggering. That's 10 a month. Now, I went to seminary with some of these guys. When these guys, and, and you know what's interesting? None of these guys were off base biblically. None of these guys were heretics. I, I mentioned last week uh, the book The Shack and the fact that Paul Young, who wrote that book, this novel, uh, and, and you know, some people really liked it, some people didn't like it. And they weren't quite sure what he was teaching theologically. And well, he, I mentioned last week and quoted from his book, and I've been reading it over this week. But uh, he has come out and said, this is what I really believe, and here are certain things we've been taught in evangelical Christianity, but they're lies. And uh, he's a heretic. 
I was reading this morning, you said, does it seem like I'm saying that all men will be saved regardless of whether or not they call on Lord Jesus Christ or not? He said, that's precisely what I'm saying. That's not what the scripture says. That's not what Jesus said. Why would Jesus say there's going to be a judgment at the end and he's going to separate those who know him and those who don't know him. Okay. But these 246 guys that he surveyed, none of them were off doctrinally. They were solid in the word. They were solid in the word. But they started walking. They had been wise men. They were following the Lord. They loved the Lord. They were committed to the Lord. But what happened is that they began to walk not as wise men, but as unwise. And they fell for a trap, and they fell for an ambush because they weren't thinking straight and they weren't looking clearly. He said there were four traits that we saw in the 246 men. Now, the reason I give you the four traits is that to me, these are four strategies that the enemy uses constantly in the lives of Christian men. And here, I'll give them to you. I'll go ahead and give them to you, and we'll go back and talk about them a little bit. And then I want to give you four counter strategies. So the first one that he saw, he said, Steve, as we interviewed him, the first thing that stood out is they had no personal time in the scriptures. I said, really? These, these are pastors. These are missionaries. These are Leaders of ministries, he said precisely, they got out of the word. You say, how can a guy who's a pastor, who's got to preach every week, get out of the word? Well, when you've been doing it for 20 years or 25 years, um, you, you've got, you, you got some stuff stored up. You, you, you've got some stuff that uh, you've thought about and that you've preached and that you uh, have got in your head. And... Uh, if you're not in the Word, you can get up and you can just put something together. And it's right and it's accurate because you've studied it before and you maybe check some notes and, you know, you're not deviating from Scripture. Even though you personally haven't been in the Word that week, what happened, this became a habit. So the 246 guys that wound up in adultery, and by the way, when these guys were young and following Christ and felt the Lord calling them the ministry, uh, how many of them thought, you know, in 10, 15 years, I want to follow the Lord and, you know, but I think I'm just, you know, yeah, one of my life goals is I'm going to commit adultery. I'm going to meet some chick and I'm going to do something stupid and walk off from my wife and kids and screw up my life. But guys don't do that. Who's going to do that? That's stupid. That's unwise. Joe Aldrich, I heard him years ago, Joe Aldrich say, Satan will wait 40 years to spring a trap. And he will. You see it in Scripture. How come so many men in the Scripture who started strong did not finish strong? I think there are three ways you can finish in the Scriptures. I think you can finish poorly, and none of us want to finish poorly. You can finish so-so. As you get older, you just kind of put it on cruise control. And you kind of glide in. You lose your convictions. Uh, you just start sliding, you know? 
But the name of the game is to actually finish strong, is to hit that finishing tape with, a, with the best finishing kick you can do. Following the Lord, loving the Lord, being an influence for the Lord in your sphere of influence that he has given you. So the first trait he saw, they had no personal time in the Word. Secondly, they had no personal accountability. Years ago, Chuck Swindoll said, accountability is a willingness to explain your actions. That's the best definition I think I've ever heard of accountability. But they had no accountability. Three, 80% of them got involved in adultery by counseling women. They're pastors, they do counseling. Number four, he said, every one of the 246 men said, I thought it would never happen to me. Now, somewhere I read that pride goes before the fall. Let him who stands take heed lest he fall. I try to pray every morning two things. Let not the foot of pride come upon me. Don't let me get arrogant. Don't let me get stupid. Don't let me get full of myself. It's so easy to do, is it not? It's so easy to do. And the second thing I try to pray is, do not let me wander from my commandments. Don't let me wander away from your word. Because, see, when I start wandering from his word, I'm unwise. I'm unwise. I'm digging a pit, and I'm going to fall into it. So those are the four strategies. Let's talk about these four strategies for a moment. Um, no personal time in Scripture. Is it not amazing? You can pick up any piece of literature. You can pick up a newspaper. They used to have these things called newspapers they'd print. Kind of a joke for you young guys. There used to be a lot of newspapers. Most major towns had two. When I was a kid in junior high school, I had three paper routes. Uh, we lived in the San Francisco Bay Area. I did the San Francisco Chronicle in the morning. I did the San Francisco Examiner in the afternoon. And I did the San Mateo Times in the afternoon, which was a suburb of San Francisco. Oh, and then there was the San Francisco News Called Bulletin, which was another paper that was out in the afternoon. And you know the story of newspapers. But, uh, man, I could pick up a newspaper, you know, just read it, no big deal. You can pick up Sport Magazine. You can pick up Sports Illustrated. I never get any, you know. I go to pick up my Bible. It's a battle. I can pick up anything. You can pick up Reader's Digest. I don't even that, I don't know if that still exists. You, you can pick up the, you can pick up anything. But when you pick up your Bible, you're in spiritual warfare. He does not want you in that book. Uh, how did 246 pastors who were committed to the Word of God, who had preached the Word of God, who believed in the inerrancy of the Word of God, how would they get out of the Word of God and have no personal time? Well, you know what I think the enemy strategy is? I think we get real busy. We get incredibly busy. Unbelievably busy. And then all these distractions I talked about them last week. 
Distractions with the phone, distractions with this, distractions with this. You're accessible 24-7. This, this, this. You're always pulled, and somehow that which is the most, and these things are important, but that which is the most important goes away because, you see, you can't survive without being in the Word. Deuteronomy 32 says, It is not an idle word for you. It is your life. Matthew 4.4 Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You can't, this book contains, this is your food. This book is, uh, it's your protein. It's the right kind of carbs. It's AEC, chromium, potassium, selenium. It's all that stuff. It's spiritually speaking. You can't grow without it. Christian men can become anorexic. They can revere the Word of God, but never read the Word of God. Christian men can get bulimic. They read the Word of God, and they hear the Word of God, but they don't do the Word of God. A bulimic will eat and then go purge and throw it up. Therefore, the body never gets the, the nurture, the nutrients. A man who is a hearer of the Word but not a doer of the Word is a spiritual bulimic. We are to hear the word and we're to do the word. But the word is absolutely central. Psalm 119. Flip over there if you would. Now, to me, as I'm teaching this, this is sounding really familiar to what I taught last week. That's because it is. We're in spring training. We're going back over the fundamentals. Did Nolan Ryan really have to go to spring training each year and work on his pickoff move? Did he really have to work on his right hook when a guy charged the mound? <laughs> Not sure he did that, but he was ready. Uh, sometimes baseball is a battle, you know. We're in a battle. Psalm 119. It's all about Scripture. Verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? So if you're a young guy, you ought to be asking that question. How do you, as a young guy, walk wisely instead of unwisely? How do you do it? Well, look at the next word, next verse. By keeping it according to your word. That's how you do it. Even when they mock you like they mocked Tim Tebow. Bed and phase it. Why? He's in the Word. He's got an eternal perspective. He just takes it and rolls with it. No big deal. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your Word. Look at 10. With all my heart, I've sought you. See? It's your whole heart, man. You get in with all your heart. You get all in with Jesus. Look at this. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Look at 11. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. You got to get the word inside of you. You got to get it in your heart. You got to get it in your mind. There are no shortcuts around this. There's no other way to mature and grow in Christ. No other way. Verse 18, 
Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. These men got real busy. And they just began to slide in what they already knew. You can't do that. you got to carve out. There, there's a point in your life where the doctor talks to you, and um, you realize, okay, I can't screw anymore. I can't screw around anymore with this thing I get with my health. i got to start doing something about it. i got to get serious, and i got to work out. And so what do you do? You make a plan. And it's just like going to work. I mean, how many times out of the week would you rather not go to work? What do you do? You go to work. How many times would you rather not work out? Me, about 95% of the time. But what do you do? You get in the car and you go. And every time I finish, I'm glad I did. You see, that's just how it is with Scripture. It's, it's part of your job as a Christian man. In fact, you can't be a Christian man without it. You can be a fake Christian man. But as C.S. Lewis said, you're a man with no chest. You're a man with no substance. Because you don't know him because you don't know his word. And you're letting the enemy con you. Can't do that. Second strategy that he would use with these 200. So, so listen, if the enemy would use that with 246 men who, you know, were committed to him, and well, why would he not use that with me? He would use it with me. He does use it with me. Here's the second one. They had no personal accountability. They set themselves up so that nobody, they never had to explain themselves to anybody. They never gave an account. They never had to give an explanation. And that is the road to ruin. Because we're all accountable. But how many times have you seen pastors that have been very successful and popular and all this, and they set themselves up, and nobody, is, nobody in the inner circle, those in the inner circle are intimidated. And those in the inner circle would never bring something up because you'll get a response of anger and intimidation. This happens in the Christian world, too. There are tyrants inside of Christianity. There are men, uh, Diotrephes men, 3 John 9. Diotrephes, who loves to be first, does not listen to what we say, the Apostle John said. They're just little uh, tyrants. And they have no accountability. And the problem with no accountability is you're going off the cliff. Uh, with me to Galatians 6. You want accountability. You need accountability in your life. Because we all get off course. Uh, what the enemy does with Christian men is that he attempts to isolate Christian men. He will attempt to get you away from other men who walk with Christ. Uh, he will isolate you, and then he'll come after you. Uh, this is why, and we're going to Galatians 6, but this is why Ecclesiastes says the two are stronger than one. And a cord of three strands is not easily broken. 
you don't, the Christian life, you don't live the Christian life by yourself. You live it in community. That's why you're in a church. That's why you're in a small group Bible study. You have to have a couple friends that are in your life that can ask you anything. So look at Galatians 6, 1, because we all get off course now and then. Watch this. Brethren, if any, if anyone is caught in any trespass, well, I've been caught in a trespass. You've been caught in a trespass. Uh, brethren, if any of you is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too may not be tempted. Uh, bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. We look out for each other. Jesus sent them out two by two. My friend Stu Weber was in the Army Rangers. The very first thing, I remember Stu telling me about this. He wrote about it in his book, Tender Warrior. Uh, you go to ranger camp, and the first thing you do is you get a ranger buddy. And that's how you're going to get through that ranger camp. That's the only way you're going to get through it. And when you're dead on your feet and you can't see straight and you're about drowning in that river, your ranger buddy somehow pulls out some energy and pulls your head above water. And then you get out the other side and you do something and you save him. You see, you bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. But if you're in this battle by yourself, you're toast. And sometimes we get off track. And you need a brother who loves you enough to say, hey, man, have you ever had a brother come to you who, who's on your team? Not, not after you, not against you. A guy who loves you and on your team. You ever had somebody do that? You ever had your wife do that? Every once in a while, Mary will give me something she calls constructive criticism. <laughs> and it, it shocks me. I, I have to say, I'm, 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 I'm stunned. Really? Moi? <laughs> yeah, you, Dumbo. If you're shocked by that, you're in pride. And you don't even see it. And, and I don't know about you, but my tendency is she'll say something that's legitimate, and what happens? I get defensive. That's my first round. What, 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 what do you mean? What are you talking about? You know how mature that is? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. She, hey, she, she loves me. She'd die for me. She's on my team 110 percent. And, and, and she'll do it carefully and gently. And she just, hey, I just wanted to mention something to you. Just something to think about. What do you, what do you mean? Why be defensive? Why not listen? She wants you to win. And, and see, I interpret that. Constructive criticism, I underline the word criticism. What word is she under, underlining? Constructive. She's for me. She wants me to win. She wants to help me. See, that's how it works. She's bearing my burden. Have you thought about this? Because, you see, this is maybe a step you really don't want to take. That's why, as the years have gone by, I try to, anything significant... I mean, we, we try to make all our big decisions together, and we do. I've got a couple friends in my life. Something major, I talk to them. I make a call. I think it's Proverbs 13, maybe 20. 
that says, he who walks with wise men will be wise. In an abundance of counselors, there's wisdom. Let's go to the third. Oh, oh, by the way, you think the enemy might ever use that one against you in your life to make you walk unwisely? No accountability. No, I'm doing this. And, you know, your wife or a friend says, well, you know, have you really thought about it? No, I'm, no that's good. I'm, I'm good. And then another friend will, if I hear something from two or three people and I respect their walk with Christ in a short period of time, God might as well send me a FedEx letter. Because they're for me. You're a fool not to listen to that. The third one is they got involved by counseling women. 80% of these guys, you say, well, that's not an issue for me. I don't counsel women. No, but you work with women. And here's what happens when you counsel women. I mean, when you're in ministry, you, you do counseling. But you've got to learn to be smart with counseling. And you've got to learn certain things like you're not with a woman by yourself, with the door closed, and you don't, you don't do that. Uh, I, 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 early on when I was a rookie pastor, I had a couple of things that, I remember one time, there was a, a couple that had just come to the Lord, and they were coming in, and I was meeting with them, and then one time, uh, the guy was called out of town on business, and the wife just showed up, and I talked with her for a little bit. And then the next, and she said, well, he'll be able to come next week. And I said, great. And then the next week, um, he showed up, or no, she showed up. And she said he had to be, he was, no, she called me and she said, this was it. She called me and she said he was called out of town. He's going to be on this project a while. And I think we need to wait until we can set up a time and he'll be back in town consistently. I said, sure, that's great. I hung up the phone and I was disappointed she wasn't coming in. And that scared me. It really, it kind of shook me. And I thought, and I remember putting that phone down and I think, what's this about? Why am I disappointed she's not coming in? Well, I'll tell you why. She was cute. And she had a great personality. And if I was single, I probably would ask her out. But you say, I wasn't single. I had this little Georgia peach I had met. And... Uh, we were married, and I loved her, and happy, and that shook me. I remember just sitting there at that desk, staring at that phone, and thinking, what's this about? And I thought, you know what? And I got up, and I left the office, and I went home. And I walked in, and Mary said, what are you doing home? And I said, is Rachel asleep? And she said, yeah. I said, I got to tell you something that happened. And I sat down and I told her what happened. And I said, I just want you to know that happened because I love you with, with everything I have. She said, Steve, I know you do. I said, I just wanted you to know what happened. And, and she said, well, I, and we just talked about it. And she said, Steve, I, I understand why there's an attraction. She's attractive. If they're attractive, there's an attraction, right? If they're um, rugby players, <laughs> there probably won't be an attraction. 
But if they're good looking and they got a great personality, you better watch yourself. Right? I mean, if they look like Dick, Buck Dick Buckus, it's not a real subtle temptation. I mean, you're vomiting. <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about. I just told Mary, and she said, well, she's an attractive gal. And I said, listen, I learned something. I mean, I, I learned something. And she said, I know you did. And I did learn something. I learned, I learned a big lesson there. And then I pretty much established a rule that from then on, I'd never, I just wouldn't counsel women. And, I, you know, I'm just a young pastor in a young church, and these people say, what do you mean, pastor, what do you mean, counsel women? Pastors counsel women. I said, I'm not counseling women. Well, you're supposed to counsel women. I said, no. No, I don't think I am. I said, you're supposed to counsel women. You're a pastor. I said, I don't think I'm supposed to counsel women. Well, you know that verse, Steve? You know that verse? The older men are to teach the younger women? <laughs> they didn't say that. I'm making this up. There is no verse, but you'd think there was a verse that says the older men are to teach the younger women. Who's to teach the younger women? The older women. Now, I had a situation that happened a number of years later where I had counseling set up in the afternoon and people could slots, you know, maybe an afternoon a week. I don't know what it was. And I walked in and my secretary said, you got this person. Oh, okay. And this person and this person. Who's that? I don't know. They called and she made an appointment. I said, okay. So I see the first two guys, and then this, I walk out, and here's this gal, short skirt, low cut, nice looking. Uh, didn't look like Dick Buckus. Uh, pretty sharp. And I'm thinking, who's this? And I got little warning bells going off on my head. I've never seen her before in my life. And she comes in, and I open the door, I open the windows, I open the skylights. <laughs> I mean, I put on video, I do all kinds of stuff. No, I mean, I just, I got my guard up, and I, what, what's this about? And she sat down, and I said, uh, so how long have you been coming to the church? She said, I've never been to the church. I said, really? She said, no, but I my husband and I were at a conference, a marriage conference she spoke at a couple weeks ago. And I said, oh, okay, yeah. And she said, so I saw that you pastored here, and I thought I'd come in and talk. And I said, oh, okay. And I said, so what can I do for you? And the tears started. Well, my husband, and he's very successful in this, but... He's, uh, it's like I don't even exist, and it's like this and this, and there's just no, there's nothing. We, we haven't been physically intimate in two years. I'm thinking, Jesus, get me out of here. Get her out of here. I'm dead serious. I can't, and she's telling me this, and I'm just thinking, all right, let's, let's take care of this right here and now. And I said, I am very sorry to hear that situation. I'm glad your husband was there at the conference with you. Um, here's my suggestion for you. Uh, we have a lady in our church who's very wise, who's very, you'd love her. She is, uh, she knows the scriptures. And I'm going to give you her name and her number. And I'm going to call her and give her a heads up, if that's okay with you, that you'll probably be getting in touch with her. And you would really, uh, it would be of great value for you to meet with her. So I appreciate your coming in. I stood up and I just got her to the door and I was very polite and I just said, thank you. And uh, make sure you call her. 
That was dangerous. That woman was vulnerable. She was, she was trouble. This is how guys get in trouble. Four or five days later, I get this big UPS package. I come home and Mary says, this package came in the mail for you. I open it up and it's this big set of really nice teak handled barbecue tools made in Malaysia, uh, handcrafted by pygmies. I don't know what it is. It's got <laughs> barbecue sauce. It's got, you know, I mean, what is this? And I read this card and it's from this gal. Steve, thank you so much for meeting with me. It meant so much to me. I look forward to seeing you again shortly. And I said, Mary, that's it. And I told Mary about it. I told Mary, I said, guess who this is? So I got note cards. And I pulled one out. And I said, dear such and such, thank you so much for the barbecue tools. And I don't cook, but Mary cooks all the time. She'll use this. She appreciates it. She wanted me to express her thanks. Don't ever call me again. Don't come to my office. <laughs> Didn't say that, but you know what I mean. Do you see the difference? You learn from these situations. Before a guy ever goes down sexually, he goes down emotionally. Is there any woman in your life that you're not married to, that you're meeting with, that you shouldn't be meeting with? And when you get with her, there's a little sizzle in the fajita. <laughs> You know what I mean? Hey, at Chili's, you can hear the sizzle before you see the fajitas. You know what I'm saying? Now, I'm being real clear here. And if you're uncomfortable, you need to get over it. Because this is, what ha this is how guys go down. Well, yeah, we're just having lunch. We, used to, we work together, and we're just friends. And, but really? Why are you meeting with her? Well, you know, because no, you're attracted to her. Come on, quit playing games. You're attracted to her. Well, you're coming down pretty hard. Jesus said if your eye offends you, put on sunglasses. <laughs> he said if your hand offends you, put it in a cast. You remember that verse? He didn't say that. He said if your eye offends you, what do you do? Pluck it out. If your hand offends you, what do you do? Cut it off. It was hyperbole to make a point. When you're sexually tempted, extreme measures are called for to save your life. If you got gangrene going up your arm, you amputate. Be wise and don't be unwise is the point. Fourth, they said, I thought it would never happen to me, to Dr. Hendricks. That's pride. Now, let me give you four counter strategies, and they're real simple. They're so simple that I had a guy, I put these in the book, Finishing Strong, and I had a guy come up to me one time at a conference, and he was a woodworker. And he gave me, you remember as a kid playing with blocks? You know? Well, this guy gave me a block, and it was pretty cool. He said, you know those four stays that you talked about in Finishing Strong? I said, yeah. Well, he said, here's a block. I got it on my desk. I got it on my credenza at home. He gave that to me 20 years ago. Uh, and he carved on the top of it, 
there was a picture of a guy rowing a skull, which was on the cover of the original Finishing Strong. And he had carved that on there. It's pretty cool. And then, that was on the top. And then on the bottom, it said Finish Strong. And then there were four sides. And he had these four stays. And let me give you the four stays. S-D-A-Y. Here are the counter strategies. Stay in the word. Stay in the word. You see, I'm doing my work, and I'll look at my credenza, and I see that block. And you know what? I remember those four stays. Stay in the word. Why? Because Satan wants me out of the word. You see, if you haven't gotten up and gotten your coffee and gotten your Bible the last three days, get in the word, man. Get back in there. Dive back in there. You can't do nothing. You lost those days. Just say, Lord, teach me this morning. Get back in the scriptures. Okay? Just jump in. Do you have a plan? Email me. I'll, I'll give you a Bible reading plan. Talk to one of your guys, your older guys, your mature guys. They'll give you a plan. Working through the scriptures. Okay? Stay in the word. Secondly, stay close to a friend. Stay accountable. The Lone Ranger had Tano. Roy Rogers had Pat Brady. Superman had nobody. Remember the famous story about Muhammad Ali when he was heavyweight champ? He got on a 747, sitting in first class. And everybody, oh, the champ, Muhammad Ali, the greatest, the greatest. And uh, he's sitting there and people talking to him and flight attendant goes by. They're about ready to pull out. She said, sir, please buckle your seatbelt. And he looked at her and said, Superman don't need a seatbelt. She looked at him and said, Superman don't need a plane. <laughs> She's quick. It's pretty good. You can't live the Christian life by yourself. Is there anybody in your life? And see, this accountability stuff, you just don't get together with guys you don't know and say, all right, let's be accountable and start sharing our lives. I'm not doing that. I want to know this guy. I want to know that he can keep a confidence. So I'll call my friend Gary Rosberg. Hey, Gary. And I'll talk to him. He'll, he'll call me out of the blue. Hey, Steve, you know, da, da, da. but we got years of history. Stu Weber, we got years of history. My brother Jeff, we got years of history. The guy you're in the foxhole with, and, he, and you know he's got your back. And then you just start sharing your life. Remember David? He should have been out with battle with his men. And he doesn't go out in battle. He's up, he's up on his roof, just put in that new hot tub, smoking a cigar, whatever he's doing, just hanging out. He had a friend named Saul, uh, not, uh, named uh, Jonathan. But see, Jonathan was dead. I've often wondered if Jonathan was alive, what would have happened? He's up on that roof, and you know what happened. That's when he looked down and saw Bathsheba taking that bath. And you know what happened? I've often thought, what would have happened if Jonathan was alive? 
You know what I think would have happened? I think Jonathan would have walked up there, kicked that door in and said, hey, what are you doing? Get your butt out of there and get your battle and get out with your men. You can't talk to me. I'm the king. Yeah, you're the king. I should have been the king. Get your tail out of there and go out there and be a man. Don't give me that king crap. And he would have listened to it. But see, Jonathan was dead. Have you got a Jonathan? And see, he knew Jonathan loved him and cared about him and had his best interest. And by the way, in these kind of relationships, you can't lie to each other. You've got to tell the truth. Because lies erode trust. Stay in the word. Stay close to a friend. Stay away from women. That's number three, unless you're married to them. And, and get what I'm, I'm going to an extreme here. You keep your distance emotionally. Does this not make sense? You keep your distance emotionally. You keep your hands off them. You're a one-woman kind of man. You honor your wife. Your kids ought to know you're a one-woman man. Your grandkids ought to know you're a one-woman kind of man. <coughs> your wife ought to know you're a one-woman kind of man. And fourthly, you stay alert. Why? Your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Well, how do I stay alert? Well, here's how you stay alert. Watch this. This is very important. You stay in the Word. You stay close to a friend. And you stay away from women. That would be a temptation to you. That's how you stay alert. And some guys are thinking inevitably, Steve, it's too late. I've already messed up. I've failed. We've all failed in different ways. I've had guys that have been broken say to me, I, 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 I've talked to guys that were part of this 246 group. I had a guy I went to seminary with, very gifted guy, and I lost track of him for years and years and years, and I was getting ready to speak at a promise keepers group. And I'm walking out into that stadium, Coliseum, and there he is along the rail. And he said, hey, Steve, how you doing? And I said, good, how are you? And he said, I've really messed up, Steve. I imagine you've heard some things. I, th I said, I've heard some. He said, if you want to use me as an example of how not to do it, please feel free. I'm trying to put my life back together. I said, good, I'm glad to hear that, man. It's never too late. And then a year later, he took his life. I, 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 the reason I think he, he took his life is that, and I don't know this, But I think that he continued to listen 
more to other voices in his head than the voice of the word of God that would have reminded him of mercy and forgiveness and grace in Jesus Christ. I don't know his heart. It's never too late to get back on track. And I've had many guys say to me, you know, Steve, I've, I've ruined my life. It's too late for me. I've, I've done these things. I'm like those 246 guys. I can never get back in the race. You can always get back in the race. Well, how do I get back in the race? First John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from how much unrighteousness? All. That's the gospel. That's, that's the good news. Oh, I wish God could use me, but I'm a failure. You think God can't use you because you're a failure? Let me ask you something. Who else has God got to choose from? Are we not all failures? Maybe you didn't fail there, but you failed here or here. If you've never failed, raise your hand. And before you raise your hand, you're going to fail. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus is a great Savior. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your Son who died in our place, who took our sin upon him. He's the Savior. He's the only Savior. We have an enemy who is serious. Our lives are busy and full. But, Father, help us to not forget the fundamentals of spring training, the essentials, just to keep working the angles of staying in the Word, staying close to a friend in accountability, staying away from sexual temptation, staying alert. Uh, we're not going to do this by ourselves. It's by your Spirit. Who is adequate for these things? But we're made adequate by your spirit in the new covenant. We're in process. And we say that we love you. And we're so thankful that we know you. Encourage us with these words we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.